Hello and welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on the game-changing potential of creating human-centric workplaces. I'm your host, Angela Howard, and today I'm speaking with April Sabral, founder and president of Retail U, a retail e-learning company that teaches leadership skills in multimedia, micro-sized courses. We delve into the critical differences between management skills and leadership skills and talk about the skills needed in the world of work today and tomorrow. Hello, April. Welcome to Humanly Possible. I'm so excited that you have had the opportunity to join us. Me too. Hi, Angela. (laughs) It's great to see you, first of all, and uh, I am just really jazzed about our conversation today. Um, First, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us your name, tell us what you're up to, and what makes you human. So my name is April Sabral. I am the founder and president of an online e-learning company um, called RetailU.ca, and it teaches operations field leaders how to increase their leadership skills in micro-sized courses. Um, And I'm also the author of a book called The Positive Effect, A Retail Leader's Guide to Changing the World, because I think retail leaders change the world one person at a time. (laughs) So I wrote a book about it. But that all came about after a a 28-year career in retail, where I really learned to um, lead, really. And so I started off on shop floor in the UK, moved to the States, and then went to Canada for the last 16 years, and now I'm back in the States. Um, And I went from, you know, being a part-time sales assistant at 16, moving out of home, not knowing what I was going to do with my life. And then the last role I had up until two years ago was the vice president of a retail chain with 250 stores across um, Canada and 50 stores in the U.S. Um, So, yeah, that's a bit about me and my career and what makes me human. I think the capacity to connect with others Um, you know, I've worked in a business where it's all about a human people connection. You know, we sell things every day, but we make uh, amazing experiences with our customers and with our teams. And so I think the capacity to really connect and see people for who they are. And I've been given that feedback throughout my whole career from my team. So I think that's what makes me human. (laughs) I love it. And I think it's a very... I mean, your your explanation about human connection is a very close tie into today's topic, which I think we're really looking to center around leadership. So tell me about how you think leadership is changing. I think leadership is changing in the term that it, it now requires um, each individual leader to really be more present in the moment. Um, to have more compassion, to have more curiosity, and to really take their, I want to say, take their title away and kind of think about being um, more supportive and, and not working from a title perspective. I say that all the time, but it's really hard when you're in organizations because there's a hierarchy, and the hierarchy kind of requires specific responsibilities or behaviors or ways to act. I, I know that just from, you know, moving up the food chain in retail to becoming a vice president. And it was, um, it was like, you can say this, you can't say that, you know, from a marketing strategy. But I think that has to change. And I think um, there is a reverse triangle philosophy of leadership, right, where it's like, you know, the leaders are underneath. 
And that's been around for a long time. But I think the difference now is that we actually need to start exercising it more consistently. Um, so I, I think leadership's changing that there's now a higher sense of requirement and responsibility for leaders. But I think the behaviors have kind of always been there. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point, which is, you know, leadership is, I almost think of it as a mentality versus a role, right? It's like not a, it's not a title on an org chart, but it's, it's a, it's a way of being. It's a, it kind of becomes kind of a lifetime uh, responsibility sometimes because you can lead in your community, you can lead at your job, you can lead at home. So I, I love what you just said about the, the triangle analogy. Yeah, one of my favorite books that I read like 12 years ago, I want to say, was The Leader Who Had No Title by Robin Sharma. And he talks about in that book, right, like there's a cleaning lady. He tells a story about a cleaning lady in a hotel and, and the way that she approaches her work and the way that she does things. Okay, she's not the CEO of the company, but she's making a decision every day because she's in service to other people to do it to the best of her ability. And it's not about the paycheck. So I think that really that really ignited my thirst and desire to learn more about leadership. And I do agree with what you're saying, Angela, that it's a way of being. And that's what I write about in the book, actually. It's a way of being. We have to integrate more of our personal beliefs and our personal ways of being with our business beliefs. And I think, you know, that's going to start coming um, through more and more in genuine, authentic leaders, because before we would be like kind of, this is my business hat, right? And then I leave. And then this is my personal hat. Well, you can't really do that anymore in the world of transparency. Um, and, you know, all the channels where we're all have availability to, to, to kind of like see who you are. So I think you really kind of have to work on yourself as a, a whole person. Yeah, it's it's kind of this, I mean, from an organizational perspective, you're you're a leader within your team, but you also have to be an organizational leader, right? You have to look above the trees or whatever, you know, to to see what's going on and make connections. And I think that's you know, when I when I talk up when I when I'm saying this out loud, I'm also realizing that you need to build that skill set. That's not an easy thing to do. So, tell me a little bit about your business and the work that you do and how you're equipping maybe new time, you know, new leaders, seasoned leaders, what are some of the skills that you think are going to be really important kind of in this next future of work phase? Yeah, it's a really great question because what we do at Retail U is we equip retail field leaders like operational leaders with necessarily necessary skills to be able to lead and manage people because there's a time to manage and there's a time to lead right so we we teach skills like how to have more empathy how to communicate how to conflict manage these are these are not skills that people by the way these are not new skills these are skills that have been around but now we're actually putting into practice um like activities and micro-sized learning and practical ways to actually demonstrate it on a daily basis. I think that's what's different about what we do. And a lot of retail leaders have been promoted through the ranks because they were really good at customer service and they worked really hard. But then they all of a sudden are managing this team of people and they don't know what to do about it, right? And they're lucky if they get some coaching on that. So we kind of fill that gap and give them the required skills to really te teach them the competencies of a leader. Um, and so how to build effective teams and all that kind of stuff. 
But the other thing that we're doing as well now with the coaching certificate that we just launched on Retail You, which is like a 13-week cohort program, is we're taking them through my book, which is the ACT Leading with Awareness Leadership Model. And that we just wrapped up the 13-week program. And we had people, Angela, on the graduation call crying. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it because they, they said the impact of um, l- learning to become more aware of their impact um, really changed the game. And we had leaders that had been leading for 20 years and were like, I realized why I lost that job or I realized why that person left my team. And I take responsibility and accountability for that because I'm now more aware of my impact. And that comes from those three pillars. And so I think more than anything, our goal is to teach, like raise consciousness of leaders to become more aware that they either have a neutral a positive or a negative impact on others, because that's really what you do when you lead somebody. (laughs) That is, yes, awareness around your impact. I I can't even start to tell you how important that is, as you know, because it does start with you, I think, as a leader to understand, you know, how your behaviors are, are or are not in service of others. And I think as leaders, we forget about the impact our presence has. You know, I was talking to someone the other day where they're like, oh, you know, I was in this meeting and everybody just, nobody, nobody spoke up. And it's like, we forget that our, our mere presence either, either can inspire, it can stifle, you know, all the same time. So depending on how you're acting and how you're role modeling, that is going to impact the people on your team, but also the organization. And when I was, um, I had this innate superpower. I don't know where I got it from. Probably a lot of personal self-growth and self-awareness on my part. But to be able to read what's not being said in the room. So I could sit in a room when I was in meetings or conferences, small meetings, big meetings. And I would see people's body language. And I could see when somebody was speaking and how people were responding to that and being able to coach that leader on if they just tweaked it a little bit or if they were more in service to others and not concerned about themselves, more thinking about what other people need to know, um, it would change the game in their connection with their team. And so that's really what I, I, what I want to achieve. It's just helping leaders to be supportive, number one, be responsible, number two, and then be selfless, number three. And I think if we can, we can help leaders do that and there's a lot of things that get in the way of leaders doing that they've got a million tasks to get done they've got results to deliver they've got their home life that they're managing you know they've got all these things going on we all do but if we're not present and really aware then we're not really connecting with the person in front of us and I I think that goes for relationships in general right but like when you're leading others you have this responsibility to make sure you create this awesome environment because let's face it people leave leaders they don't generally leave organizations. So turnover is a big deal because when you have turnover, you're constantly training people, you're spending money, right? So um, so if you have a turnover problem, you kind of have to look at yourself as a leader and say, what's going on? And as an organization, you kind of have to say, well, what are we doing for a people strategy to kind of change that? Because I don't believe that people just get recruited and go for more money. I think, honestly, people leave people. And I, and I can tell you that from factual information that over my 10 years of reading ex-interviews um, of employees, that was the top two causes of somebody leaving was 
Number one, a leader that they worked for. Number two, lack of development, which comes from the leader that they worked for, by the way. So they're both correlated. It all goes back. It all goes back. And I I think people also forget as leaders, we take for granted, you talk about impact, but it's not just work impact. It's well-being. It's health. Um, I read an article the other day that I think mentioned it takes a total of 18 months for somebody to get over a bad leader the it's 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 actually like a form of ptsd or trauma so when you have a a toxic leader you are impacting this person's livelihood and well-being and so i yeah you're actually that's an amazing statistic i mean not not a good one but a factual one and i'm i'm just thinking back to situations in my career where i can totally relate to that 100 percent same and i mean they kind of equated it to like a relationship right it takes you know they kind of say it takes you the the duration of the relationship to to get over that person but it's the same when you're in toxic toxic excuse me situations and i think we forget as leaders that impact that we have it's not just at work it's when that person goes home and they're they're stressed out and they're talking to their spouse or their partner or their family and the emotional drain. Uh, that Somebody, caught. you know, early on in my career, I was very fortunate. I got to speak to a regional director when I was a store manager, and he gave me this great piece of advice. He said, when people go home, well, first of all, he said, when you're somebody's boss and people go home at night, they talk about you more than they talk about anything else. And everybody around them is either telling them to keep working for you or to go get another job <laughs> because they're sick of hearing it, right? And he said, so... So he goes, I want you to think about that. And also those people, by the way, that they're talking about you too are your potential customers, right? So he was like, think about that, right? When you go, when you leave your work day, what do you think people are going to be saying about you at the dinner table at night and really become aware of that and your impact, which means, by the way, then you have to get curious about your impact on others and you have to be willing to be open to ask the questions that leaders don't want to ask. Um, and accept the feedback. And I've been through many times in my career where I had to accept feedback from somebody that, you know, I was not having a great impact on them. And then I, I made the decision to change that, right? But a lot of leaders just get stuck in their ego in their own head and they're like, well, you know, they're just not the right fit. And I just don't, I think- It's it's them and not me. (laughs) Right, it's them and not me. And you can have people leave an organization because it's not the right fit, but you can always do it in the right way, by the way, and help them understand that it's not right fit for them, but it's not because of the leader that they're leaving. You know? So how does one start that journey? How does one start that that journey of self-awareness from a leadership perspective? Um, Well, first of all, you have to want to become self-aware. So I really think it speaks to somebody that wants to learn and grow out of all the leaders that I've ever interviewed or ever worked with. It starts off with a willingness to want to grow and have a growth mindset. If you don't have that, you can't become self-aware because self-awareness comes from wanting to be better. So you have to really look around your life and ask yourself, is your life Um, The relationships that you have, the career that you have, is it, you know, fulfilling you? And is it where you want it to be? And is it meeting your expectations? And if it's not and you're not happy, you have to start from there and ask yourself why. Because I truly believe that everything that's around us is a mirror reflecting back to us who we are showing up in to the world. 
right? And so if you can look at life that way, you'll look at situations and people around you as teachers. And then you'll be able to start with that self-awareness journey because you'll be able to kind of dissect, you know, what's happening over here and like, you know, journal and write some things down and then really say like, this is something that's here to teach me and show me. So what can I improve on? So it starts with that number one, 100%. And also just asking people, I mean, my first 10, 12 years of retail, my annual performance appraisal, I was measured on feedback that my team gave me. So I had no way of running away from it. Like my performance or my increase, annual increase was based on that. So I had to listen to what they were saying. And then it, it put me in a perspective of like, I work for this team. My job is to help them feel encouraged and supported. And I have to be open again to that feedback. So if you don't have a feedback loop right now um, in place, if you're leading a team, I encourage you to actually start one yourself. I remember when I got promoted from being um, a district manager. So I was in a team of district managers. There was about 20 of them. And then I was potentially going to be promoted to be the director of that group. And I asked for feedback and they were all like, no, we don't want to work for her. <laughs> she's so competitive. Um, we don't feel like she's going to support us. Now, if you ask my team that worked for me directly reporting to me, they would not say that. But my peer group had this different perspective of me. So I said, give me a chance and go back and survey them within 90 days. So those 90 days, I had to work really, really hard to change that perception. And that's all I did. And that was a great lesson learned. And in 90 days, they came back and gave me feedback. But I asked human resources to help me with that. Right. So you've got to be willing to ask and, and then accept it. Yeah, I, I think this idea of, you know, a 360, uh, you know, there's there's ways to do that informally. Right. And I think to your point, it's just asking the question to the people you work with. But you have to do something with it. That's that's the that's the key, right? It's you can bring in the good intention and ask the feedback, but going back to that group and saying, "I heard you, and this is what I hear, and this this is what I'm going to start doing better," and then the proof's in the pudding, right? <laughs> so you you actually changed your behavior. That's that is a hyper sense of self awareness, which I think is really necessary in in leadership, especially modern leadership. Well, yeah, and that comes from, um, I mean, in the book, I write about it quite a bit, but I am an identical twin sister. So I have an identical twin and I never felt valued by her as a twin. So my sense of self-worth when I was growing up was I never felt seen because she was like the popular one and, you know, <laughs> talked to everybody and I wasn't. So I really internally know how it feels to not be seen and not be valued. And so because I had that understanding of it, I am hypersensitive to making sure other people feel valued and feel seen. And I think those two things in leaders are going to be required in the future. I, I don't think that there's going to be a tolerance for that not happening anymore. I agree. I think we are, I called it a reckoning earlier, but it sounds really intense. But I, I truly think we're on this verge of redefining leadership in a way and saying, you know, your command and control me methods just aren't going to, to work anymore, especially with the upcoming generations. So how does, so this kind of gets to my next question. How, how can one live into their leadership style authentically? Right? So I think there's maybe some leaders who are saying like, 
you know, I'm not very extroverted. I'm kind of, I'm kind of introverted, but I consider myself a really good leader. How do you create that sense of you're not, you're not performing, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, I think that there's three things that every employee wants to feel from their boss. Number one, do they care about me? So you don't have to be an extrovert or introvert or any kind of personality to, to make somebody feel that you care about them. Number two, can I trust them? So can I trust my boss? Right. And then number three, are they going to help me learn something that's going to help me perform better in my career? So those three pillars, however you show up with your personality, however you speak, what language you use, you know, all of those um you know, like there's no right, there's a right way to do this. There's a wrong way to that. I I think at the end of the day, if you can get your employees or your team to answer yes to those three things, 90% of the time, you're actually doing a good job as a leader and you'll hold on to your staff and you'll inspire and motivate them because that's what everybody wants. Think about it. Like that's what I want from a boss, right? I want to feel like they're going to help me grow in my career. I want to feel like they're going to, I can trust them and I want to feel like they care about me. And beyond that, Really, um, you know, you just show up as, as yourself. But as long as you're working towards creating those emotions in your team every day, you'll be fine. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, there's a lot of research around the charismatic leader. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm introverted. I call myself an ambivert because I, I kind of teeter right in the middle. But through and through, I'm, I'm pretty much an introvert. And so I've always struggled with the traditional definition of leadership right because I can turn it on but for me it's all about it was all about finding my value system and and baking that into the outcomes of my behavior right so whether that's you know I don't have to speak up at every meeting but you know after the meeting I'm talking to people individually and I'm connecting and integrating ideas and so I think there's a great opportunity with this new generation of leaders to be even more authentic which I'm really excited about yeah and you know what I'm an introvert too and people would be shocked when I say that to people because you know I do a live show and I've stood on stages but I'm freaking out in my mind before I do that stuff right but I learned this a long time ago when I became a John C. Maxwell uh, coach in the public speaking lane he said before you have to go and speak in a meeting or talk to anybody just say to yourself in your head what do they need to know and that's going to help you because it shifts the energy on your team in service apart from, because most people before they get to speak, especially when they're introverts, because when you're an extrovert, you're like, yeah, let me add it. I want to speak. But when you're an introvert, you're thinking, oh, my God, what do I need to say? How do I need to say it? What's it going to sound like? Oh, my God, I don't want I don't want to mess up. So you're going over in your head. But if you just say to yourself, what do they need to know? It totally shifts the perspective. And actually, introverts are really great because they're awesome listeners and they're very curious. And those two pillars of leadership make you a great leader. And extroverts have to learn how to kind of pair that back because otherwise they're always talking about themselves and not listening to their team. Right. Yeah. I, I've always thought introverts, I mean, I've worked with um, a lot of introverted, a lot of, you know, C-suite uh, folks are, are introverted and I just, you know, I, I, I think I took on some of their energy and their their values and the way they led because they they asked more questions. They let people listen. You know, they listen. They let people talk and they kind of had this ability to like generate this summary at the end because they were listening so well. And I just I 
I admire it, to be honest. So, and I think a lot of leaders feel, and maybe it's not extroversion or introversion, but I think there's, um, there's a lot of, you know, copy and pasting sometimes with leadership. Like, you know, you think you have to be like somebody else, but I really do think there's a lot of room for some real authenticity as long as you're getting those outcomes you mentioned, those three outcomes you mentioned earlier about leadership. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, earlier on in my career, you know, I mean, knowing what I know now, but I mean, I've had 30 years experience of leading people, right? And now teaching thousands of leaders and developing them through succession planning. So the one thing I would always tell my younger self would be just be believe in yourself, like trust yourself. You know, sometimes we we look at other leaders and we look at everybody's doing and then we think that we have to emulate that, like you said, or we ask others for answers to our own decisions that we can sometimes come up with the answers ourselves but we just don't trust ourselves. But I think that that's just part of the journey of leadership and experience, you know, because you learn through experiences with people, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, like you have a conversation with somebody who didn't go so well, you're like, mm, you know, I can change it. I can learn from this. I can do something different. So I think leaders at the end of the day, whether you're extrovert or introvert, if you're a true leader, you're a true learner. That's why I always say. And, and this element of uh, vulnerability I think is such an important one, you know, to be able to say, I was wrong. I messed up. That didn't go as planned. Or what can I do better? I think that's such a, and it goes into the self, the self-awareness piece, right? Which is the asking questions and admitting fault and trying and trying and trying again, because it is a journey. You're not going to get there. Like you're not going to wake up one day and be like, I am a leader. Uh, it's, it is, it, it evolves, it changes. And it's a journey until, you know, the end of your life, really. I feel like it's a lifelong journey. It totally, it totally is. Like somebody said to me the other day, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, you know, April, you're not trying to get to the mountain and get the flag on the top of the mountain, right? Like that's not life. Like life is the journey of experiences. When you actually realize that it's just when we're younger, we're like, yeah, I want to do this and do that. And I'm going to achieve this. And, you know, when I became a, a C-suite executive, I was like, wow, this is the role now and this is this is and, and it wasn't what I thought it was, right? But I and also at that 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 you know level of success in my career, I was like, all I did was listen and ask questions, listen and ask questions. But when I was a manager and I looked at C Suite, I was like, Oh, they're the ones doing all the directing. They actually weren't, you know, like so it's it's not always what we think it is. But again, it's about the journey and, and again leadership to me is about the impact that you have on one person or ten people. You know, you could say one thing to one person that changes and shifts their trajectory for life and helps them feel better about themselves. And, and that is a huge responsibility as a leader. And I think, you know, again, going back to the journey, how many people do you get to do that with on a daily basis? You know? Yeah, you, you are in service to others, which I think is if, if leaders can shift their mentality around that, I think that that encompasses the mentality you should have moving forward so what i guess what should leaders stop doing i mean if we're talking about this you know from a perspective of empathy service to others what are some things that leaders should stop doing in order to get to this level of self-awareness or to become a better leader yeah stop assuming that everybody agrees with you all the time when you have a title (laughs) like i say this all the time um you know, as I started to grow in my career and take on more 
like let's say tiles with more responsibility and bigger teams I recognized that people agreed with me more and I was like that's really interesting why do people agree with me more and I, I kind of had to sit there and kind of dissect it one day and I was like I don't know if they're agreeing with me I think it's just because I have a title and so there's a bit of let's say fear in that that I hold the keys to their like career right so I was like why are they why are they always agreeing with me so then I really had to start asking different questions and stop making an assumption that when I said something that everybody agreed with me and that my decision was the best one because at the end of the day I don't have all the answers right so I think that's really key just stop assuming that when everybody agrees with you that it's because you have you know, you have all the answers and you're, you're the best decision maker. Now you've got to make decisions. I'm not saying as a leader, you don't, you do when you have to perform and you have to deliver results. But I think, yeah, stop assuming that you, you have all the answers and that people are agreeing with you just because of your title. And when you can do that, you can really open people up and you can really create a space for people to be honest and share what they're really, really feeling and thinking. And that's when you can solve and, um, you know, issues and problems and create great results with a team of people. So stop making assumptions that you know what everybody's thinking. Do you know how many times I've talked to people when they're like, oh, yeah, I know that person or that's this kind of person or this is this kind of manager or, you know, they've done that in the past. So they're going to do it again. And I'm like, stop. Hold on a second. How do you know that? Try and go into the moment, be a bit neutral and be curious and don't assume you know what they're thinking because none of us are in the other person's body and head. So you don't know what they're thinking. So stop assuming you do. So stop making assumptions all the time. So what do you think are some additional skills that leaders are going to have to have to manage in a remote or a hybrid working environment? Are there any additional skills that and it could also be technical skills, right? Because if you think about like digital writing or working asynchronously, what are some technical or soft skills that you think are going to be important in this um, new hybrid way of working? Yeah, technical skills is kind of important. We just actually, through the coaching certification program, one of the technical skills that we taught the leaders to do was how to present on Zoom. Okay, so they had to go on Canva. They had to come up with a presentation. Some of them had never heard of Canva. They were like, what is Canva? And I'm like, it's the best for PowerPoint best presentations. Thing. <laughs> so um, we taught them that and then they had to present on Zoom and then they had to, um, within that, use VARC, right? And like figure out how to do visual learning, you know, audible and like, and kinesthetic on Zoom and use the chat and use breakout rooms. So we took a group of retail multi-site leaders through it and they were like, that was the best thing ever because they've been struggling for the last year trying to create engaging meetings for their teams. So I think if you aren't great at Zoom or you aren't great at like, you know, creating content that way, then, you know, start learning about how to do it. Challenge yourself. Don't go, oh, I'm not technical. I can't do this because that's not right for your team. You you owe it to your team to create engaging virtual conferences and calls. And, and I don't see people traveling to big conferences like they used to because we don't actually have to anymore. But that does mean that you have to create engaging conferences and, and content through a virtual platform. So I think that's a technical skill that you really, really need to learn. Um, and then from a from a soft skill, I mean, to me, it's the same skills as it's always been. Um, 
But, you know, when you're writing, I mean, because one of the courses we do on, we, we teach on Retail You is how to be a multi-site leader. And in there, there's a module that's how to write engaging emails. You'd be surprised, right? Um, writing an email or making it engagement, because again, it's content, right? Um, how there's a skill around doing that, especially when you're trying to hold teams accountable, set clear objectives. So I think writing really clear emails and not just like dumping a whole load of thoughts on a page, you know, there's the way that we teach it is there's the kind of a bit of a formula and then send it to yourself and read it and ask yourself, what would this sound like if I received it versus just sending something out to the masses? So I think a, a lot of that is going to come into play. And I learned that when I was representing, you know, a public traded company, when I was speaking at conferences or, you know, sending out emails and communication to a mass population. So I think that what I learned as a C-suite executive, that needs to filter down to other levels. So I think that's really important. Yeah, and it's really, I mean, it goes back to that engagement and that connection and the differences. You have to now do it in a different medium, <laughs> digital writing, content creation. And, you know, I, I see it as thinking about creating content so that it's easy on the brain, <laughs> That if that makes sense, right? Like cognitive ease is a part of your job as a leader, too making things easy, getting things out of people's way, making things as straightforward and personalized that person as possible. Uh, So I think it ties right into what you said about the skill set. Yeah. And using video, you'd be surprised how many people are not comfortable on video. I remember at David's Tea, they'd always put me on video and send the videos to the store teams because I just, I'm not that I was ever really comfortable at it. I've got much better, but I learned that through doing public speaking training Um, And so I think video now, even when they're doing hiring now on video, you just talk to a video and recruiters are going to look at you. LinkedIn just added a video to your profile this week. So you can now create your picture to be a video. So and and all the leaders I've talked to in the last week, I'm like, have you put your video up on LinkedIn? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, my God, you need to do it. Like this is today's reality. Get your video up there. It's a 30 second video. So you're going to have to learn how to get a very clear point across in under a minute. And that is very hard for people to do on video. So if you haven't got that skill, you actually need to learn that because that is not going away. It's going to become more and more prevalent with the younger generation um, of how we communicate with them. Yeah, I, I love it. And I think that that's a, that's a great advice really for anybody listening. But specifically, if you're a leader and you're conveying information to a team, uh, it's it's even more important. So... April, I loved this conversation. I mean, I could talk to you all day about this uh, topic specifically around leadership because I'm really passionate about it. You know, I really feel like leadership is like your legacy. You know, it's what you leave behind. So is there anything that you want to leave behind today for this audience before you leave about your book, about leadership, any any other points? Um, the only thing I would say is that there is a, a quote on the last page of the book and it says be the type of energy that no matter where you go you make a positive difference I've probably I've probably bodged that up but that's the essence of the quote so it's like that's what really counts wherever you go leave a positive feeling a positive energy because you never know where that can go right like it spreads it's like that person that goes through the drive-thru and pays for the person behind them coffee 
that story. And then all of a sudden now everybody in the drive-thru is like so happy. And now they're all happier and they're being nicer to the people behind them. And then that, it just pays it forward. So that's why I would, that's why I would leave everybody with. At the end of the day, that's, that's what's going to count. Well, I think you've done that for us today. So thank you, April, so much for taking the time, sharing your insight. And we will make sure to include uh, all the links to your book. Um, and also to your website uh, in case folks are interested in reaching out. So thank you so much, April. Thank you, Angela, for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Humanly Possible Future of Work Conversations podcast. We're so grateful that you're here and support from our listeners like you means the world and it ensures that we can continue to bring you timely topics and influential guests. If you're interested in supporting the podcast further, please subscribe, share it with your friends and leave a review. Keep changing the world and we'll see you on the next episode.